Hey, thanks for tuning in to the latest sermon. We pray that it challenges you, blesses you, and ultimately that it would stir your heart's affection for Jesus. Enjoy. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence in our midst. We honor you in this place. We ask that you would have your way as we wait upon you, as we seek you, as we glorify your name. We love you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, worship team. That was awesome. Oh, so good. It's been a while. I've been gone for a couple weeks, and it feels good to be with the church family again. Uh, yeah. Uh, we enter, enter into a new series on worship, why we worship, and uh, we'll be We'll be, uh, the next three weeks, we'll be uh, in this space, and then we'll be moving on into something else. When I was in high school, um, I was a part of our chamber choir, and uh, we took a, we did a tour uh, into the East Coast, uh, or uh, towards the East Coast of the United States, and we had a stop in Chicago, and then we went on further to New York, and New York is probably one of my favorite cities that I've been to. It's just magical. Uh, there's like the the steam that comes out of the the sewer holes, is it, like you see on the movies. That that's real. Like it's just I don't know. When I saw that for the first time, I was like, oh my word! This isn't just Hollywood producing this. This is like the real thing. I know I'm crazy. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, one of my favorite cities, one of my favorite cities, and, and while we were there, we had a day off, and we went into one part of the city where, um, where you could just buy, really, whatever knockoff of anything you wanted, you could buy. And um, you could buy bags, and shoes, and watches, and sunglasses, and clothing, and cologne, and perfume, and, and it's all super, super cheap, and... Um, I definitely bought a cologne for like 10 bucks. Um, my wife's shaking her head at me. I love cologne. I love smells. I'm just, I'm that guy. But uh, you, could buy, you could buy so many things that weren't the real thing. They were, they were the knockoff version of it. And uh, although uh, we, you know, we can buy knockoff things of, of almost anything nowadays, uh, the real thing is always better. It's always better quality, it's going to last longer, all these different things. And I would argue that we all really, in the end, even though we can get super cheap things, we all really actually desire the real thing. And whether it's our, our food products or our clothing or accessories or even our relationships, we don't want a knockoff, we want the real thing. And yes, sometimes we might settle for the knockoff, but deep down, we're after the real thing. And it's been my heart uh, over the past four and a half, close to five years, as a worship pastor here, that we would be a people, that we would be a church who goes after God in worship, and that we would be a people that God looks at, that he, he looks at his people and says, those are my people. Those are my, that, that Cochran Alliance, they worship me in authenticity. They worship me 
and I am pleased with their worship, that we would honor him, that we would, that we would um, be a people who sings God's praises, that we would proclaim who he is, that we would, like the psalmist in Psalm 95, we would come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, that we would, that we would worship in the biblical example. And so over the years, we've looked at many different examples of worship in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. We've looked at Abraham when he offered his son as a sacrifice. We looked at David dancing almost naked before the Lord exuberantly. Um, we've looked at Paul and Silas, uh, though they were in chains and imprisoned in the middle of the night, they are singing praises to God. And then we've also looked at Mary who, who broke the uh, expensive uh, bottle of perfume of, of ointment and, and poured it on the feet of Jesus and anointed him in, a, in incredible extravagance. And we've looked at a, a few different other examples as well. And all these examples exude the heart of worship. If you look at all these individuals, it's not just their outward acts of worship, but, but deep down in, at the core of who they are, they are individuals who loved and worshipped God with everything that they are. And they understood and they caught something about the true heart of worship. And so one portion of scripture that over the past four and a half years we have not looked at as, as, uh, during my time here is that of John chapter 4, the very words of Jesus about true worship. And so turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. So Jesus has met a woman uh, who has come to draw water from Jacob's well. And like all of Jesus' conversation, it goes deep really, really fast. And Jesus is breaking multiple cultural barriers in this moment. And, and even his disciples are surprised that he's talking to this Samaritan woman at the well. And it turns into quite the conversation uh, I'd encourage you to, to later on this week read the entire chapter. But at one point, this woman, um, she, she comes to the realization that this Jesus guy is no ordinary man. He's got to be something more. And she says to him, you must be a prophet. I perceive that you are a prophet. And so we pick up in the middle of their conversation, John 4, 19 through 24. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. <clears throat> Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers <clears throat> will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. 
This is one of the most foundational verses, if not the most foundational verse for true biblical God-honoring worship. Jesus explains the fullness of worship in this passage. And so what you have here is you have uh, the Samaritans and the Jews were often at odds with each other, almost always at odds with each other. And one of the things that uh, brought much tension besides the racial tension, but another thing was that uh, they argued about the proper place of worship. The Samaritans had a place called Mount Gerizim and they believed that that's where you were to worship. The Jews believed that it was Jerusalem where you were to worship. And so they often fought about this. And so because this woman, after much conversation and uh, Jesus speaking into her life, she perceives that Jesus is no ordinary man and he is indeed a prophet. And so she has a question for him. And she says, Lord, where is the correct place to worship? And Jesus completely shifts her paradigm on the idea of worship. He says, look, a time is coming, and indeed the time is actually already here, when true worshipers won't care about the location of their worship. So Jesus, being a Jew, actually points to the Jewish way as the more correct, we'll say, way of, or more correct location of worship. And in verse 22, he says, you worship what you don't know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. However, Jesus is actually even unsatisfied with how the Jews worshipped. He said, you guys all think it's about a location, about certain rituals, but Jesus goes far deeper and says, it's actually in spirit and in truth. David Mathis says that the issue is not whether we will worship, but what? Even better, whom and how? We have all been created to worship. How do I know this? Well, the definition for worship is to ascribe worth to something, to give worth to someone or something. And so we do this all the time without even knowing we are worshiping. We worship our time, our, our money, our attention. We give our attention to different things, our affections to different things. We worship careers, houses, cars, reputations, money, sex, golfing, the outdoors. Listen to a few of the Old Testament passages about being created to worship. Isaiah 43, the prophet is speaking on behalf of the Lord and he, and he says, the people whom I formed for myself so that they might declare my praise. In Psalm 102.18, this will be written for the generation to come that my people yet to be created will praise my name or praise the Lord. And so no matter what, we all worship, whether we know it or not. We all desire, we all have this, this uh, actually God-given desire to worship 
something. And Jesus gives the prescription on who we should worship and how we should worship. True, uh, true, real, authentic worship will be uh, geared towards the Father and it will be in spirit and in truth. So what does it mean to worship God in spirit? Well, we are created with a body, with a soul, and with a spirit. And uh, Jack Hayford's put together this, uh, this little diagram. We've got the body, soul, and spirit. And our body is our world consciousness. It's our senses. We, we see, we touch, taste, smell, and, and our hearing. Our soul is our self-consciousness. It's our intellect, emotion, and it's our will. And then finally, at the very core of who we are, we have the spirit. And the spirit is our God consciousness. And the way we, we tap into this here is through faith, hope, and love. Our faith is the assurance and stability. And it is fed by the word of God. Our hope is confidence and expectancy. And it's sustained by looking to Jesus. And then finally, Love through motivation and communication, which is nurtured by the Holy Spirit. And so we've been made up in three different parts, body, soul, and spirit. And so what does it mean to worship God in spirit? There's actually a little bit of controversy around the word spirit in this context. It most definitely refers to the inner portion of who we are, that, that center of who we are, that spirit, but um, many uh, commentators and, and smarter people than me uh, believe it to be more than that. It, it could even include our soul, which, is, uh, which has our intellect, our will, and emotions. And so uh, everyone, however, everyone agrees that um, this spirit is the inner man. It's the, our inner being. A couple weeks ago, I, uh, when we were still in our Ephesians series, I talked a little bit about being strengthened in our inner man, being strengthened in the part of us which we cannot see. It's that part of us that respond. it's the unseen part of us that responds to God. And so true worshipers will worship with their inner being. They will ascribe worship to God with their inner man, the very core and depths of who they are. It's not just worship is not going through the steps of I'll give $200 to the church this month and now I have worshipped God with my money. You can't actually just, you can't do a physical act and call it worship. There's, there's actually more to it than that. You can't just come to church on Sunday, sing a few songs, listen to a sermon, sing another song, go home and say, I have now worshipped because I have come to church and sung a few songs. It just, it's more than that. 
the true pro, uh, or sorry, the prophets in the Old Testament touched on this point over and over in the Old Testament. Amos 5:21. The prophet Amos is speaking for God. He says, "I hate, I despise your feasts. I cannot stand the stench of your solemn assemblies." The Israelite worship had become religious duty. It had become actions void of heart, void of spirit. And I think sometimes we fall into this trap where we come to church year after year after year after year, week after week after week after week. We sing some songs, we hear a sermon, we go home and we've worshipped. We might be a little wrong. God is saying, I'm tired of your church services. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit. God is calling, he's searching, he's looking for a people who will worship him in this way. Worship with our inner being, with our inner man. God, would you awaken us to worship in our inner being, to worship you, to Teach us how to worship in spirit. Never let us come here week after week after week after week and think we've worshipped you when we haven't worshipped you in spirit. And Jesus is not lackadaisical on this point. He is adamant. Listen, Listen to his words in verses 23 and 24. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking, he's seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Leon Morris says, Jesus is speaking of something absolutely necessary. Like I said, Jesus is not wishy-washy on this topic. You, you actually have to worship in spirit. If you don't worship in spirit, you're actually not worshiping. It's not God-honoring worship. An old Puritan preacher, uh, Stephen Sharnock, said, without the heart... It is not worship. It is a stage play, an acting part. We may truly be said to worship God, though we lack perfection, but we cannot be said to worship him if we lack sincerity. Another aspect of worshiping in spirit is that there is this New Testament reality that the Holy Spirit lives inside of the followers of Jesus, of those who have given their lives wholly and completely to him. Uh, In the Old Testament, God would dwell in the temple, and, and now we are that temple. We've talked about this a lot in the last year. And so those who, who call themselves followers of Jesus, uh, Jesus has made our spirit alive by his regenerative work. And our spirit, which was once dead, is now alive and is actually able to worship God. When we were dead in our sins and trespasses, we were unable to worship God. Now we have been made alive by his spirit 
and we are able to worship God. Apart from this, we cannot worship God with our whole being. Jack Hayford says, we are alive by the Spirit and we are aglow by the continual filling of the Spirit. We, we need the, the Holy Spirit in us to inspire worship towards Jesus. Our, our worship goes into overdrive when the Holy Spirit is inspiring it to flow from the depths of who we are. God is the one who awakens and electrifies our worship. You might ask yourself, how do I engage my spirit in worship? How, how do I engage my inner being in worship? And, and how do I have spirit-inspired worship? One of the best ways to do this is to speak to your spirit and speak to the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to awaken you to the realities of who Jesus is, that he would stir your inner man's affections for Jesus, that he would stir our hearts so much that our spirit's only option is to overflow and bubble up with worship in Christ-exalting worship. Paul points to the, the Spirit's help. In Romans uh, 8.26, Paul talks about how the Spirit himself will help us in prayer. He says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. Now, it is my estimation that if the Spirit can help us in our prayer, he can most certainly help us in our worship to God. Psalm 42.5. Psalm 42.5, David speaks to his inner man and he says, Why are you cast down? And why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I again shall praise him, my God and my salvation. Speak to your inner man. Speak to your spirit. Say, God, I engage my spirit to worship you. Holy Spirit, stir our hearts, our affections for Jesus, and begin to let the worship flow from the depths of who you are. This is how we engage our spirit. You can do this. The beautiful thing about this is you can do this wherever you are. Remember Jesus, his main critique, one of his main critiques was uh, they, they thought it was all about location on this mountain or on this mountain. And Jesus says, no, it's actually about spirit and truth. So you can do this wherever, if you're, if you're a heavy equipment operator, you can, in the cab of your tractor, you can say, Holy Spirit, I engage my spirit to worship Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you draw me to the person of Jesus? Jesus, I praise you. I praise you because you are good. I praise you because you are faithful. And this is all in your tractor cab. You can do this. The presence of the Holy Spirit will fall in that place as you worship, as you glorify God with your spirit. 
Some of you are nurses and doctors. Can you imagine if as you are walking the halls of the hospital, under your breath you're saying, I praise you, Jesus. I awaken my spirit to praise you, Jesus. Think about the fear that would have to flee. Our hospitals are filled with fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of sickness. Fear of death. Fear of disease. Think about it when you're walking down those hallways to the next patient's room and you're saying, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, would you fill this place? I engage my spirit to worship Jesus and the enemy has to flee. I encourage you to do that, whether you are a stay-at-home mom, driving your kids to the dentist, going to the park this summer, going to a splash park. Holy Spirit, would you come in our van right now? Holy Spirit, would you make your presence known? Jesus, would you be glorified in my van right now? I'm serious. Look like a fool. People talk to themselves all the time on the streets. Why can't you be praying? Not only are we to worship with our spirit, not, are we, not only are we to engage our inner man, the very core of who we are, but there is another aspect that if we do not have this, again, we are not worshiping correctly. We are not honoring God with our worship if we are not worshiping in truth. If, you, if we lose aspect of truth, we may be exuberant, we may be heartfelt worshipers, we may dance before the Lord in uh, ridiculous ways, but if we are not worshiping the God of the Bible, if we are not worshiping the truth of who he is, we are actually worshiping a God created in our own image. And so at the very core of worshiping in truth, it is to worship in light of who Jesus is and what he has done. He is the truth. Jesus states in John 14, 6, I am the way, the, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. We also worship in truth by being rooted and grounded in the written word of God. We, we worship God, we worship Jesus in light of his character and nature, that he has shown his steadfast love and faithfulness from generation to generation. We worship in light of Revelation chapter 4, which declares that he is holy, he is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. We worship because he is gracious and compassionate, a God who is slow to anger, a God who, according to the psalmist, does not treat us according to our sins, uh, how we deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. We worship in response to the reality that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. We worship in light of the fact that his leadership is perfect, that he is the good shepherd. He leads us beside quiet waters, and in our darkest valleys, he is there. Yes, we know that our worship is not 
only about exuberant expressions, I still can't help but think that in our worship, if we are worshiping in spirit and in truth, there should sometimes be shouts of joy. There should sometimes be hands raised to heaven. There should sometimes be dancing for joy. There should sometimes be weeping for joy. And there should sometimes even be weeping in lament. I can't help but think that if we are worshiping in spirit of truth, spirit and in truth, that there should be kneeling before the Lord our God, our maker, in reverence to him and his holiness. There should sometimes be clapping of hands because he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our adoration and our devotion And when we step into the realm of spirit and in truth, everything goes to a whole new level. It's worship that honors God. It's worship that honors, glorifies, and pleases him. It becomes the sweet fragrance of the perfume of Mary as she pours out her perfume on the feet of Jesus. It's now this worship that is going to heaven and it's pleasing to the Lord. When we worship in spirit and truth, it becomes the praise that the Lord desires to inhabit. The psalmist writes that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. It becomes, uh, it becomes the worship that he is enthroned upon, the psalmist says. The Lord so graciously manifests his presence in our midst when we worship him in spirit and in truth. His spirit moves amongst his people, touching our hearts, bringing healing to our bodies, our minds, and our emotions. We encounter a living and moving and breathing God when we worship in spirit and in truth. And it changes the game completely. I'll invite the worship team to come up as we close. But this is my prayer for us. Let us be a church that worships our God in spirit and in truth. Worshiping God authentically the way that Jesus has prescribed. Let us be a church that the Holy Spirit would awaken our inner being, our inner man, that worship would explode from within the depths of who we are and that we would be grounded in the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. This morning as we close, I want to make room for... uh, just the spirit to move in this place for him to to touch our lives. And if you need a fresh filling of the spirit of God today, Paul talks about a fresh filling that we continually need to be filled up. If you desire a fresh filling, we invite you to come forward. There will be prayer team members here this morning. If you you don't want to come forward, turn to the person next to you. Ask them to lay their hands on you and pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit this morning. Would you stand with us?
Jesus, we look to you this morning. We set our gaze upon you. We set our spiritual eyes upon you, God. Would you awaken our spirits to worship you? Would you flow through us in a fresh way this morning that we would honor you with our worship, that we we would worship you with spirit and in truth? We love you, Jesus. You deserve all the glory, honor, and praise. Amen. Let's worship.